Welcome to episode 158 of Tim Talk, the podcast about the DC animated universe co-created by Bruce Tim. I'm Chris Lord. I'm Cameron Dexter. And uh, this week we're doing some more Static Shock. We got some uh, Army of Darkness, aka X-Men, the Static Shock episode. <laughs> what are, what and, about uh, the, uh, in X-Men Evolution, Spike joins the Blinks? The Morlocks. Morlocks, thank you. I kept oh. wanting to say Murdochs. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, that, God. That's not it. They don't, they're not blind. No, 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 no. The 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 Murdochs are a far more disgusting group of people than the Morlocks. Uh, it's. And, I was, I was well, thinking well, Matt Murdock, uh, Daredevil. Oh, not, you were not, thinking not, of not Rupert Murdoch Murdoch's. and his brood. <laughs> yeah, no, not not Rupert Murdoch. <laughs> no, Matt Murdock's a lovely, lovely human being. The, the Murdochs are horrible. Yes. I uh, know. Well, it will be the Morlocks. We'll we'll get into that though. Uh, and then, of course, we're also talking No Man's Island, uh, which is the return of Hawk Street, but also Edwin Alva and his son, Alva Jr. And uh, Rubber before... Bandman. And Rubber Bandman, yes. the first time we see him in his new look. Exactly, yeah, which uh, it's definitely an improved look. So we'll, before we get to that, though, we, of course, have some news, uh, which has been fairly light this week. I think we're in the, uh, the news moratorium pre-Comic-Con. That we thought we were in two weeks ago, and we were not, but we are this time. Uh, but... Since this is 2020, we got yet another streaming service launch, which I know nothing about, but you've been exploring a little bit. So, Cameron, walk us through what's happening with Peacock. I have. So, uh, NBC, not CBS, NBC just launched their... NBC Universal. So, yes, NBC Universal just launched their streaming service, Peacock. Because, uh, you know, what else do we need right now other than more options of stuff to not watch? Uh, but I will say, I think Peacock is worth the time right now because at the moment it's a free service i'll rephrase that it's free with an asterisk uh because it's it's kind of like the early days of hulu if people remember that where it's like very scattered commercials not where it's the like three minute impacted commercial in the middle of an episode Mm -hmm. um but you can pay for tiers so they have premium content which is like I don't know how they picked what is premium and what isn't because I think the stuff they picked is not worth paying money for. Because <laughs> um, I mean they have like great shows on there. So some of the some of the stuff they have uh, for TV shows is like Battlestar Galactica. Battlestar Galactica is on there. Heroes, oh, Friday Night Lights, Saved, a great uh, show. Saved by the Bell, Thirty Rock, Downton Abbey, Psych, which a lot of people liked and never got into, Suits, which a lot of people liked and never got into uh will and grace and house it's like a pretty substantial tv package and wait that's on the the free version or on the yes those are all free shows okay because uh you know i love psych and i know that the second psych movie is up on peacock but i don't know yeah so that that's one of their originals okay is the original stuff only on the premium version no original (gasps) stuff is also all free oh my god i can watch psych 2 lassie come home for free yeah the the uh, premium content, which again, like I don't know how they chose one of them. I do get one of them is Shrek, and Shrek is the most premium content the world could ask for. Um, I mean, Shrek might be the movie from the early two thousands that is held up the best. Oh, absolutely, Shrek one and Shrek two, absolutely. I love Shrek two. So um, but premium is like that. Forgetting Sarah Marshall is premium for some reason. I'm uh, sorry, what now? Everyone loves Raymond is their premium TV show. They have a very loose definition of premium, don't they? Yeah. Uh, but alongside of all those shows, what I think this platform is, is best going to be known for is it has two categories that everyone loves to talk about, but I don't think people have really seen. 
Mm -hmm. uh, it has the entire Hitchcock library, which is oh. awesome. All is free. Uh, and has the entire classic horror movie lineup. Oh, uh, the Universal Monsters. Yeah, so you can go back and watch the original Dracula, Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein, Creature of the Black Lagoon, Invisible Man. Wolfman. You know, all the stuff they've been trying to reboot <laughs> poorly <laughs> over the past two decades. Let's be honest. It's more than two decades. They've been trying to make the Universal Monsters relevant again since they came out in the 1930s and 40s yes and i think it probably peaked and and you know tell me if i'm wrong on this it probably peaked with um abbott and costello meet frankenstein i'm sure it did never seen it but oh, I'm wait, sure it did. wait wait did they own oh my gosh this is going to change everything what if they have the full library of abbott and costello are you going to be 100 percent on board now no, damn it, they don't. I was going to say if they had the full library of the Alvin and the Chipmunks meet Frankenstein and the Wolfman. Oh, <laughs> and they do not, unfortunately. Oh, but so for Peacock, I I think they, they didn't do a great job promoting themselves because I haven't seen a single ad for this. The only reason I knew it was out is I have a friend on the promotional team. Mm -hmm. And I should probably tell him that he's not doing a great job because I haven't seen a single <laughs> ad for it. But I think they have a pretty good catalog to start. And they're still missing what I would consider their like tentpole show. And the mm -hmm. whole reason this platform is supposed to exist is to take the office away from Netflix. And they still haven't done that yet. How much longer does the office have on Netflix? I, I thought it was up. I thought so too. Friends was the one that ended on new year's. Yeah. But then that went on to HBO max, HBO max, because even though it aired on NBC, it was a Warner <laughs> brothers show. Yes. Um, uh, Back in the day when uh, studios used to sell their shows to other networks rather than hoard them for themselves to put on their exclusive streaming platforms. Exactly. Oh, what, what a day. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, we've really just gone back to the golden age of Hollywood where not only did you own all your shows, you owned all the actors and your shows and your writers. And you would, yeah. you would lock them in on the set and say, you get this nice house, but you can't leave. Not house. You get this nice bungalow. Of course. But you can't ever walk off the set ever. Nope. Because you are ours now. Yeah. I mean, we're basically just heading back towards consolidation and monopolies. Exactly. What a time Yay. to be alive. <laughs> oh, God. I mean, it's not yeah. like Disney's never stopped doing that. But that's fine. No, that's true. Now, okay. So it sounds like Peacock is a decent platform to have right now. They have a pretty good library of back catalog stuff. If maybe not great original stuff yet. I feel, yeah, I feel like all all platforms are struggling with original content. I weirdly think of all the platform. There was also I I don't think I brought this up last week. There's an article that came out about Quibi last week that their two month free subscription service just ended and they lost ninety percent of their viewership. Yeah, not surprising. <laughs> I never even bothered with it. No, I think Quibi did have the best original content ideas, and it's just a shame that that got the original ideas and not like spread across these platforms. Not that I want more competition between HBO max and Peacock and Netflix and Disney plus and Hulu and Amazon. <laughs> so, okay. So we're, we're at the point now where we basically have all of the platforms that have been promised. I, I, I imagine that we'll see more going into the future. Um, from your perspective, I think you've been a, doing a pretty good job of actually like sampling all the content, which one is most worth it. Like, which one is actually worth the amount you're paying for it? Oh, I mean, 
content per dollar disney plus is stupidly cheap i would agree with you on that actually. the fact that it's still five dollars is like i i don't know how they're making a profit yeah i mean i, I do because they own all the content and they're not, <laughs> not paying yeah. royalties uh, for anything but also like everyone else right now they're actually not turning a profit yeah um i i would agree with that i think in terms of a library of content and i, I think their originals are still kind of minimal and it, that's just a struggle everyone's going through right now with the fact that production just shut down across the board so they're you're not getting new stuff but the mandalorian is some of the best star wars content um as is the the final season of the clone wars mm-hmm. um so i'm, I'm getting I, there i'm i'm slow crawling my way yeah well don't worry there's more coming because they just announced that the uh, <laughs> the bad batch which was a uh, a uh, four episode arc from the uh this final season here those group of characters are going to continue on in a no show which um those episodes are are okay they're not great but hey you know what more star wars is always a good thing mm-hmm. actually sorry let me rephrase that new star wars is not always a good thing as evidenced by <laughs> all episode the new star eight, wars we got episode nine and solo <laughs> but new star wars is always a promising thing that oftentimes under delivers but the tv side of things has been good um yeah i would agree with you i think Disney Plus for the the price I think has the best content. Hulu is still pretty good in terms of being able to get a lot of stuff. Um, I feel like Netflix now at this point is only really concerned about its own original content. TV is better than film, I would say. Well, um, they so I, I was going to bring up we have most of the major studios having their own platform now. We still have the Straggler, the one who is consistently five years behind everything else. Viacom. Viacom. <laughs> The company I knew it. That, I knew that was gonna be the one. Yes, the company uh, that that put all their stake in Blockbuster back in the day and cool. just sat on it and watched Blockbuster tank. And as Blockbuster was finally bankrupt, they're like, "Hey, maybe we should maybe try something else." And someone yeah. said, "No, I think this is still gonna work," and started <laughs> Blockbuster streaming. <laughs> My God, yeah. I mean, I, I think CBS All Access for me is the least worth it like mm-hmm. i signed up for it for a couple months so i could watch all of discovery and watch picard we now are getting a new star trek show lower decks which is kind of like a a, a comedy animated show mm-hmm. which seems a little different again i might sign up for like a month to watch all of that once it's all available i don't think it's a, a subscription worth holding on to all the time because there's not that much stuff on there so I, i'd say what probably best bang for your buck disney plus lisa would be cbs all access yeah, I mean, Hulu, or not Hulu, HBO Max is just so expensive. Yeah, there's that. It is really expensive. It has, for... like, it, it has its huge movie backlog, which is awesome. And I've been, like, very, very slowly going through all the, like, the classic classics. Yeah. Because um, it has, like, a pretty good musical backlog, which I think is awesome. Because mm-hmm. that's something I I never watched growing up, and I'm excited to, to dive into. But yeah, Disney is not not, you know... Not that I'm biased or anything. No, not at all. <laughs> I don't know. It's uh, it's an interesting time to be consuming a bunch of shit. All I really care about at this point is that I hope that all of the DCAU stuff does find a home again. Because right now, you know, we're both enjoying your DCA uh, universe platform. <laughs> <laughs> yes. To watch everything. Uh, I'm pretty sure we'll get through the end of Static before any big changes happen. And then I own all of Justice League and Justice League Unlimited on DVD. Do I? I um, also do. Yes. They're all yeah. still in their, still in their plastic wrap. You've never opened them? No. I always just had them, on, I had them available on my computer. 
But then again, you're also the man who owns multiple copies of Avatar and sets. multiple copies <laughs> of Scott Pilgrim books. So no, I only own two sets of Scott Pilgrim. But I have, I have Cameron. I used the phrase multiple. <laughs> said you own multiple ones, and then you said no, I only own two. Yeah, <laughs> but they're different. One's in color and one's not. Two is still multiple, Cameron. It's fine. That's fair. I I had I had one other piece of news for okay. you, just for you. Mm-hmm. because it's news that i love to talk about and you hate to listen about oh god um there's a movie coming out oh god that's been coming out <laughs> for three years now we got new we got new new mutants information chris did we actually we did uh not only are they having a panel with the cast at comic-con mm-hmm. we got a new trailer <laughs> fucking hell uh, with a new tagline, which I think is the most ironic and wonderful tagline of nothing will stop the new mutants. Okay, which is? That's it. That's the tagline. Oh, that's the tagline? Nothing will stop the new mutants? Yes. <laughs> well, there's a lot of shit that could slow them down. Yeah. And on top of that, uh, once we hit August, we will hit the three-year anniversary of the first trailer for New Mutants. <laughs> How excited are you right now, Chris? Are you going to be watching that panel? July um, 23rd. I, I'm going to be watching to see as all of the uh, cast and crew slowly ambles their way onto the <laughs> stage because they are geriatric now at this point. Yeah. I, I remember being at the Scott Pilgrim panel years ago, as I've mentioned before. Mm-hmm. And that cast, like, already giving, like, non-answers. And I remember asking my mom about it. of Like, why are they all acting so weird about this movie? And she reminded me that, like, when you have a super VFX-heavy film, you know, you have, like, a year between them filming and then talking about it. Yeah. And so they they don't have a lot of, like, those memories that people want them to have. So, like, I can only imagine with this cast and crew that filmed this movie four years ago now Jesus. for people to ask these, like, very relevant questions. And it's like, no one is going to know the answer to. Um uh Maisie williams uh what was it like to be on set i don't fucking know i was 14 i don't know <laughs> oh my god if i were her i would just skip that panel because there's nothing to be gained from being there because she'll just get questions that she can't answer because she made the movie so long ago or she'll just get shit for game of thrones stuff yeah all right well i mean it wouldn't be a week without us talking new mutants so cameron thank you for bringing that up of course it is uh, it is my duty and honor yes. to continue to talk about this movie we will never stop talking about it because it'll never actually come out it never nothing will stop the new mutants nope i fucking like i don't know if that was the original tagline if it was that's hilarious i don't think so i think someone probably said that as a gag I'm like actually that works let's totally go for it and then it not really realizing how stupid it sounds yeah oh boy all right well should we move on to some static shock let's talk about some static shock so first episode this week is army of darkness uh not a sam raimi film unfortunately uh but this one sees the return of ebon who's recruited uh, a new group of bang babies called the Nightbreed, uh who are uh susceptible to damage from the sun and uh he recruits them to build a device that will block out the sun so the Nightbreed can take over dakota and ebon can rule over them um Cameron, what did you think of this episode? I really enjoyed this episode. Yeah? Yeah. I, I liked the character. You know what? I miss Shiv. I don't know where he went, but 
Shiv hasn't made an appearance since season two. I think at this point, you might be the only person on the planet who misses Shiv because he's he's just he's Green Lantern. He's just Green Lantern. Okay, he's just Green Lantern, which explains why you miss him. <laughs> but he's the worst, most ineffectual version of Green Lantern. Yes. Full stop. <laughs> like yes, he is he ever really effective even as a criminal no and that's what's so endearing about him he's just he's like pure pure comic relief but not as good as carmen dillo he's he's the new mutants of the meta breed nothing can stop him yes except not airing him for a full season and a half hey it hasn't stopped the new mutants which hasn't been aired in three years <laughs> so uh, but no, I like I like these characters. I did you do any research on on this group of people? Um, I did a, a a little bit of background research. Apparently, they're based off of a group from the comics, from the Milestone comics, called the Blood Syndicate. Um, yes, because there's a a few crossover members there. Um, but I didn't I, see anything in my research about the Blood Syndicate that showed that they were also vampires, which is what we get in the TV version. Um, I don't know if you did some research or found anything different than that. I, I I was just shocked. I didn't realize how expansive this universe was. Oh, um, yeah. There's a lot to it, actually. Yeah. So these these are still in comics. These are still Bang Babies. This is still mm -hmm. in Dakota City. They're in a, a very specific part of Dakota. Um, oh, yeah. So Paris like Island. Paris Island. Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, I, I read through some of their characters, and some of them sounded really interesting. Um. Their main villain, who I think is who Hot Streak is based off of, is even though Hot Streak does appear in the Static Comics, mm. uh, is this villain named Holocaust, which like yeah I, I understand the name change. Yeah, I don't know if that would have uh, gone over so well. <clears throat> um, but yeah, he's just basically just like this walking supernova because he's got pyrokinesis, superhuman strength, superhuman durability, and thermokinesis. Mm -hmm. um, he can make his body hot enough to melt any bolt shot at him and absorb heat. That's pretty cool, actually. I've never heard of the, that power set. Um, his abilities include leadership and business management. Yes. I love. I, I read through all of their, <laughs> their abilities, and like half of them have the power of leadership. It's like, you know what? LP, some people pay a lot of money for that. Like they're, they're full seminars about that. Yeah, that's true. You know, they can make a great TED talk about it. Yeah. That's also where H2 Olga, not H2 Olga, god damn it. <laughs> oh my god <laughs> the other one Aquamaria. Maria. can we like go through and just remove h2 olga and any of the butch hartman and kids next door stuff from your brain like one it'll Never. make our lives easier on the Never. podcast because we'll have fewer tangents and two eventually you'll get the chance to re-experience all that stuff for the first time again yes even though h2 olga is literally in one episode of fairly hot parents oh my god <laughs> She's a one-time Crimson Chin villain. Oh, but look at the impact she's made on you and you alone. Same with Dee and Amy from Kim Possible. Everyone, everyone oh. seemed to remember this villain very fondly is in one episode. It's the name. That's also what it, it comes yeah, down to. Yeah, it's such a good name. But no, I mean, I think what's interesting here is, like I said at the top of the show, to me, this was um, one of the most heavily X-Men inspired episodes we've had so far. Um, so the, their version of the Nightbreed reminds me a lot of the Morlocks, which is the, the group of mutants who, um, have a lot of 
physical mutations and so they can't pass as normal people up in the the surface world and so they go down into the the sewers to hide away from everyone um and in this version it's the the night breed and for whatever reason they're a subset of the bang babies uh that are hurt by sunlight yeah sunlight is poison to them as they say yeah, which is interesting because initially when we meet uh, Nightingale, who's kind of the the main Nightbreed character who you know starts out as a villain and ultimately kind of turns and becomes a hero, her power is to control dark matter. And so there's a, a loose logic there that can make it sense that she would be susceptible to daylight. And that's where you think it's going, but then it turns out all of them are. And so it's the, the four main ones we meet are uh, Brickhouse, uh, who is basically just Brick Colossus, Nightingale, the oh, I, aforementioned. No, uh, she's the thing. Yeah, but she turns into a brick. But not in the comics. Oh, okay. In well, the in the comics, she's always brick. So okay, yeah, in the cartoon, the she can turn in and out of being uh, uh, a, a brick house. So that's, yes. like, yeah, so she's just like the thing slash Colossus. Um, Nightingale, I guess, is kind of like Shade and Nightshade from DC. Mm-hmm. A little bit in terms of her power set. Um, Fade is just Kitty Pride. I love Kitty Pride. Exact same powers. Yeah. Uh, and then Tech is just evil gear. Yeah, generic smart guy, genius yeah. boy. Exactly. Another uh, bang baby Gizmo gear. Yeah. Tech is such a lazy name too. Like I'll, I like all the other names. I like I'm Brick not House. a big fan of. I was about to say I'm not a big fan of Brick House. I love it. I love it. Uh, I just also love disco music. That's part of the reason I love it. Fair. Yeah, but it to me, I know these are all characters that come from the comics, and you know, comics are constantly stealing from each other. But to me, watching this, it felt just a little bit uninspired, like in a little bit hodgepodge. It's like, okay, we got a bunch of new Bang Babies. There's this weird subset, and there's more of them too, which I also found really bizarre. Mm-hmm. Like they talk about how there's this whole underground community. We see them um, as part of like a bit of flashback exposition, but we don't meet any of the other ones um but it's also our first time getting a a big bang flashback in a while yeah that's true and it also makes you wonder like how many people were actually at the big bang because when i recall from the episode there were probably like in the dozens right there it was it was like all the gangs so we'll, we'll we'll assume these kind of like teenage gangs probably have like 15 members each was it actually all of them yeah, it was, it was like the gang war. Yeah, but I don't remember it being... I remember that's how they describe it in this episode. Well, because we only focus on... We focus on the gang that tries to recruit Virgil. And yeah. then the gang that Hot Streak is a part of. But then there's also the gang that Ebon leads that we don't see. Well, um, and that's kind of my point, is they seem to have retroactively added this idea of it being like a full-on like gang war that happened when when it aired in the pilot, it was really just these two gangs. And I get that that's necessary to, um, you know, bring in more characters. We go along, but it starts to, I don't know, push the boundaries of credulity at this point. Mm -hmm. I I would say there were probably 60 people there. I think that's a fair number assessment. So based on this episode, it seems like there's at least what 20 plus people that are part of the night breed. Yeah. That's a pretty big contingent to have never been referenced before. And I guess they all went into hiding. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It it just felt a little bit odd to introduce this, you know, we're 
four seasons in now at this point. We're almost at the end of the run of the show to introduce this um, like subset of the Bang Babies. It feels a little hat on a hat to me. Would you have liked it more if it were a two-parter? Not at all. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely not. The second part would have just been introducing every single member of the Nightbreed one by one. No, you meet the Daybreed. Oh my god. (laughs) That that have to constantly be in sunlight. (laughs) So (laughs) they sleep in tanning beds. That I would have been all on board for. That would have made perfect sense to me. Yeah, they're so toned and and bronzed all the time. Ah, just glistening. Yeah. Yeah, it... It also felt like we've seen this general plot before. I mean, mm-hmm. this is essentially what Ebon wanted to do in Flashback when he goes back to um, the um, Dakota riots and he's going to unleash the Bang Baby gas back then. Yeah, and, and also Ebon is is full-on supervillain this episode. And I, I think that is one of the problems I have with that character is he's portrayed as the biggest bad of the whole show. And I think for, for good reason, I think he in general is an interesting character, but he just now has these like crazy over the top plots that don't to me really seem feasible or like they have a lot of runway. Like his whole motivation now is just to rule over an army of people in the city. Mm -hmm. And it just doesn't feel. And his way of doing that is to block out the sun. Block out the sun, yeah. With just like a... the Simpsons did, and just like South Park referenced <laughs> the Simpsons doing. Of course, because the Simpsons did it first. It it also just... It's so generic. And mm-hmm. I think that this show, more so, I think, than a lot of other shows in the GCU, carried on the legacy from Batman the Animated Series of trying to make the villains, or at least the, the, the powered folks that we meet who are often portrayed as villains um interesting and relatable and and humanistic and having a you know a grounded sympathetic backstory and you just don't have that with ebon at this point really he, he's just this like really generic machiavellian villain and to me that's a little bit disappointing even the nightbreed here you know like we're, we're kind of sympathetic to them because they've been trapped underground this whole time but even the show just discards them at the end yeah, they're like, like, oh, well, let's, like, we can help you. And like, nah, nah, we, 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 we're fine. We'll just figure it out on our own. It's yeah. all good. Like, I, I, well, I really loved the the very awkward dynamic between Nightingale and Brickhouse. Oh, uh, yeah. Because at first, you, they seem, like, very, like, not against each other, but definitely not on each other's side. Mm-hmm. And then you see Nightingale get pushed around a little bit. And then kind of towards the end, you they're like, oh, no, we're friends. Brickhouse and I, we go way back. We've yeah. always been friends. We're best friends. Yeah. And I'm like, are you? Because <laughs> you treat her kind of like shit. And not in like a best friend treat them like shit kind of way, but just like, like generally you treat them like shit. Yeah. You seem to hate each other. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry she can't turn into a brick house like you can. All she can do is make things dark. Yeah. And I, you know, even the idea that this machine that tech builds is inspired by Nightingale's really generic dark matter powers that that felt like that was there just so that she could save the day at the end by absorbing all of the the dark matter as it gets released yeah i mean there there were there were things i did like about this episode um 
you know, I did like that uh, when they go to the Dakota nuclear power plant um, to try and steal some technology to build this machine, when Static and Gear show up, they actually have a really good plan in place to disable everybody. Like, they almost shut down the crime instantly. So they show up, and they immediately wrap Brickhouse up in one of Gear's um, cables. Then yeah. Static uses his powers to steal the reactor, and yes. Gear swoops through and then grabs Fade and takes him up to a super height so that if he tried to phase out, he, he would just die and hit yeah. the ground. Like, that is actually a pretty good approach to taking everyone out. Like, it shows a level of strategy and forethought that I don't think we often see from... And experience. And experience, yeah. I don't think we see that enough from Static Gear, which is surprising considering that, you know, not only are they super smart and capable, but they have, you know, this this deep-rooted friendship and that sort of, like, inherent chemistry and trust and shorthand. And we don't actually get to see that very often. Yeah, I... I when you mentioned that, I did think of something. When was the last time Gears, like, band ball worked? Good point. Because <laughs> I feel like when we first saw him, that was the go-to object. And it always, no matter who it was, and, like, only Static could get out because they were, they were electric. Yeah. And since then, I think every villain has gotten out of it. Maybe not Talon. I think he's caught Talon once. <laughs> I feel like he's caught Talon multiple times with it. Well, because it's in the intro. As I, we could also <laughs> just be thinking of the intro. <laughs> um, I think every other villain since then has been able to break out of it. Yeah, you kind of want a little bit of sense of continuity of him like re-engineering it so it's a little bit stronger. Mm-hmm. Or, or you even... know, have like have them specified for each villain. Like you know who your rogues gallery is now. Yeah have one that has like a glow stick in it when you're catching Ebon. <laughs> First he has to like crack it. Yeah. And then he throws it. Uh, the one for Talon just becomes a big bird cage. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the one for Talon, th this is for Talon. It, it already it's works. The only one. She's the only one that it works on. Cause he has the, the, like the full ball one for, um, what's her name? uh I have steam no idea. girl smoky robinson puff, puff. h2 olga <laughs> h2 olga d and amy because he has like the one that like is a basically like a rubber ball for her right yeah yeah yeah. sure you know what yeah have, have like he he would be smart enough to have villain specific gadgets or even to like factor in statics powers. Like I'm surprised they haven't found a way to incorporate like a, an electrical charge into it. Mm -hmm. Like it goes around them. And if you straight against it, it gives you like a mild zap. Yeah. I mean, even what we see in the next episode, I feel like yeah. that kind of tech could be useful for him. Here's what they should do. They should incorporate a dog collar technology into his net bands. So, you know, it's like he's got a little button and if they start to act up, first it gives them just like a, you know, like a little little vibration, just a warm like, hey, hey, calm down. Mm -hmm. You've been captured. If they keep struggling, it, you know, it just beeps at them a little bit. It reminds them like, hey, stop it. We're here. And then if it goes too far, finally, it, yeah, exactly. Maybe sprays water in their face. And then finally, yeah. if they go too far, it shocks them. No, that, that's just a hot streak sprays water in his face. <laughs> How have they never thought of that? All they need is just a squirt bottle and they've yeah. got hot streak under control. And we also, in the next episode, we learn there are power nullifiers. Those exist now. Yeah, but only when it's convenient. Yes. So, 
But like, because because so, do you think if they have like give the Nightbreed a power nullifier, would that allow them to go back into the sun? Ooh, that's a good question, actually. Because um, I, I feel like this is the f- the first time we've had a, a Bang Baby villain with a really significant weakness, right? We've had yes. little things like the um, the the monster, the Jekyll High monster. You know, is susceptible to sound, but I think that's just because the person herself had like sensitive ears to begin mm-hmm. with, and they just got exempt, like if, you know, yeah, heightened, heightened. Thank you. But yeah, that, that does raise a good question of like, if you could nullify the Nightbreed, would you also nullify their weakness? I suppose so, because they're related. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, we, we had that that problem before with power stealing. Oh, the yeah, the, the weird like chameleon guy. Yeah, with the suckers on his hands. I want to call him Leech, but that's not right. That, that's that, that, I, that is that's... his name. Yeah, you, you nailed no. it. Is it? Because Leech is a mutant. I think Leech is also this guy's name. Oh, well, isn't that convenient? Um. Because when he absorbed Ebon's powers, Ebon should have reverted back to yeah. his normal look. And I think that was just on the animators, just like, no. Yeah. We don't want to. <laughs> I mean, speaking of the animators just going, no, nah, we don't want to. Uh, I love that they established that the uh, the dark matter bomb that Ebon has built is going to go off in the, the dead center of the city. And where does it happen to be? <laughs> the backdrop the, they've already drawn. Yep. The abandoned gas station of solitude. And you're like, Oh, this could be interesting. Like maybe static and gear are going to have to try and like protect their, you know, hideout and their identity while this is going on. It's like, Nope, they just wanted to save money by having it be at a location we already use. Exactly. I love it. Look, I can't judge them for that. Considering that every live action TV show ever made just constantly sets battles and places we go to like how many times did the smallville climax of the episode happen at the high school uh i'm gonna say every episode from season one through five exactly either that or in the redwood forests that are very famous in kansas yeah yeah generic forest <laughs> land there, there was one there's one aspect about this episode that i think is very important okay um and it's it's a character i would say character defining moment and it is gear almost finding out who batman is i did like that a lot yeah because static is complaining about how he uh just can't handle these all-nighters and gear makes comment like oh yeah batman must be some rich guy who can sleep all day mm-hmm. and then he looks at static and static canonically does know that bruce is he does uh bruce is batman now i mean good on him for also not telling richie yeah Fuck, I would tell you immediately. (laughs) (laughs) There is no way I could keep that to myself. Uh, But also, I wouldn't tell you. Yeah, that's that's fair. (laughs) You you don't you here's here's my problem. You don't crave the attention like I do. Oh, that is not true. That is absolutely not true. I I constantly crave attention. Um, I just try and find it from other sources. Okay, that's fair. That's what grinder is for. Yeah uh yeah i mean i think at this point we know for a fact we won't be seeing the nightbreed again considering we have so few episodes left and uh you know they're just going to be left in the dark to eventually maybe find a cure maybe Maybe. i mean we do know that the wayne foundation still does exist and is trying to cure metabreedness yeah but static isn't going to recruit bruce wayne to help 
because he just totally accepts the fact that the Nightbreed is just going to solve it themselves. And he just mm-hmm. very willingly walks away, leaving them to their own devices down in the sewers. I do love that Tech even had that line of like, oh, I guess now that we're not building this doomsday device anymore, I guess I can find a cure. Man, <laughs> if I had been doing this the whole time, I probably would have found one by now. It's yeah. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Uh, any other uh, thoughts on Army of Darkness here? Um, I think I think we I think we got it. All right, well, we'll move on to our second episode here, No Man's Island. Uh, I I always want to call it No Man is an Island, but so uh, this episode sees Hot Streak and Static captured by a paramilitary group and taken to an island uh, where Bang Babies are being experimented on to try and save Edwin Alva's son who is still frozen in stone after the episode Junior from season one, where he uh, like overdosed on Bang Baby gas. Yes, completely skipping over the other episode where we see him still in stone, because we don't care about that one. What I most appreciate about this episode is that it makes that other episode from season three, but it was clearly presu- uh, produced for season two, canonically unnecessary. Exactly. They did I our job for us. Hated that episode so much we uh, are of course referring to trouble squared the return of uh specs and trapper who build weapons to themselves and call themselves spectral and speed trap it is one of the worst episodes in the entire show and luckily it is proven inconsequential and we can very happily continue to not include it on our short list yes i so i, I made a comment last week which is a comment that i've made many a time since static began mm-hmm. and i i do have to course correct a little bit i said that butch hartman was heavily inspired by this episode (laughs) (laughs) from legal perspective you said that butch Hartman was heavily inspired by and did not blatantly rip off uh and there for the most part it is the same ish episode danny and valerie who's become the new ghost bounty hunter if you remember from season three they are kidnapped by uh skulker the ghost bounty hunter uh, and drops them in the middle of basically uh it, it's more of like the game i think is the movie oh yeah uh, is it the most dangerous game yeah yeah sure but yeah it's the two of them handcuffed to each other trying to escape skulker's island okay yeah i mean we've seen this plot um mm-hmm. in a number of places we've had an episode before where the hero was like stuck somewhere and had to escape and i'm pretty sure it was was it a Batman Beyond and it was like a school trip? Yeah, but who would he be stuck with? Because I, like, I, I, I think I think it was the, Max and he wasn't like handcuffed to someone. But okay, because I, I, I think that's the fun of these kinds of episodes is you have two people that have this history that are now stuck together um, and have to find a way to work, find a way to communicate. Because what I, what I think the Danny Phantom episode did much better than this one is it's the one where, like, you really humanize Valerie. Mm, okay. And, like, you kind of understood her background and kind of, like, ghosts. Her, her dad was also super into the, big into the supernatural, and it kind of, like, messed up his career. Uh, and so she blames ghosts for kind of her family falling apart. Yeah, I, I think that episode you just described does a little bit more than this one does. I, I think this one's still, Where we learned that hot streak was in a hospital for two years and that's the only backstory we're ever going to get for him. Yep. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I, I think for me, the part that I liked most about this episode was that it was, um, essentially just like 
a nonstop barrage of movie references, right? It's like the, the plot itself is clearly based off of, um, uh, yeah, I think, I think it's pretty sure it's the most dangerous game. Um, you know, we've seen this whole thing about like, you know, heroes and villains getting handcuffed together all the time. So like right there are things we're familiar with. Um, but like, there's a lot of inspiration from other movies, like the Island itself and the whole facility feels very James Bond. Mm hmm. Um, and like a little bit of Indiana Jones too, to some degree, like even the, the styling, the color palette, a little bit of the, uh, the paramilitary group that Alva has, that takes him out. just feels like, you know, a little bit Indiana Jones. Um, there's obvious star Wars references. I was going to say like that, that was the biggest one for me is like, I paused the episode. I'm like, are they just straight up playing a star Wars? Like yes. the Imperial March in this? Yes. Uh, yeah. Cause at one point hot streak and static capture a, a flying speeder, um, cause also for some reason, this episode has like future tech way beyond anything else we ever see in static shock. Yeah. Like it has future tech more reminiscent of Batman beyond than even say like Superman, which was the more sci-fi of the other shows we've seen set during this time period. Um, but yeah, they're like on the speeder chasing through the forest and they straight up just play the Imperial March. Yeah. I was, fantastic. I was kind of like put off by it. Like, I, I, I found it distracting to do that. Yeah, I found it very distracting because also like it's clearly meant to be a Star Wars reference, clearly because it like hits you over the head with it. But also the music doesn't really fit what's happening in that scene or static in general. Yeah, like, it, static it was... has a very specific like audio cues and sound and tone, and it's not like thematic. Yeah, it's not like dramatic and operatic. I was like, this doesn't really fit. Um, also, I didn't see any trivia of this, but I'm pretty sure that the the nurse who works at Alva's facility is supposed to be a reference to Nurse Ratchet from One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest. Oh, never saw the movie. Uh, I read the book, I think. Yeah. <laughs> May have seen the movie. I don't know. It's a lot like, of references that we don't get. We don't get. But I mean, I, I like that it had this was kind of pulls in there. It seemed like an episode where everyone was having fun making it. Like there's a lot of heroes and villains thrown in there. Um, they don't necessarily all get a moment to shine, but you just get to have them all like play off each other. There's a lot of mm -hmm. movie references. Yeah. So, in so there. when they get to the island, I don't think we mentioned it yet. When we get to the island, we see that they've already captured Gear, Rubber Band Man, and Talon. Yeah. And to your point, this is the first time we see Rubber Band Man in the new aesthetic, mm -hmm. which is pretty crazy if you think about it. That we went, what almost a season and a half basically without a rubber band man episode now to be fair he did appear in i think what at least one or both of those um season three episodes that were produced in season two yeah he was because he was in the one where daisy falls into a coma yeah that's right but for the most part we haven't really seen him yet and i i really think his um redesign is a huge improvement mm -hmm. well i mean he's he's busy being a pop star man that's true. I know. I know he's the best hero in the entire DCAU, and he has a full, rich life that he's living. But, you know, I yeah. just miss him. I miss him when he's not there. Even just the few seconds we get here is all the worth it. Um, but no, I, I like that he now has, like, much more dark shading on his suit, so it's just this nonstop barrage of really obnoxious purple. I, and this is going to sound cliche of me, I think this should have been a two-part episode. Oh, for fuck's sake. I think it could have been so much fun because you make part one um, the first half of uh, Batman Nightfall where something happens. What, someone breaks Static's back? No, before that, where something happens and all the villains escape. 
Okay. And so now Static is exhausted trying to catch everyone. And you, okay. you basically, because I think, here's how I justify it. Alva can't get to the metas because they're all under Wayne Tech. Uh, they're oh, all they're all of, in prison. They're all in, they're all in prison in kind of the hospital area, being kind of tested on to find a cure. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alva can't get to them because he can't compete with Wayne because these two kind of big tech superpowers. Yeah. So he devises a way to break them all out. Um, and that way he can kind of collect them on his own. So you have static and gear kind of exhausting themselves in this first half of the episode. And in the, in the first episode, trying to round everyone up, he starts to notice a few things. Um, and he sees like someone grab Talon and he sees someone do that. And then like on his right, he sees hot streak getting away. So him and gear split gear goes after Talon to see what's going on. He goes to chase hot streak and the episode ends with them realizing in the middle of the fight, them realizing that like everyone is gone. Like there's no more heroes or villains around rubber band man comes in to try and help round everyone up. He's now missing. Like literally everyone has just vanished. Yeah. And then the episode ends in the way that this episode already had, or the two of them also getting kidnapped. I will agree with you that that is a more interesting setup. And that episode sounds like it would be really cool and interesting. And then I feel like you would get to this half and be like, oh, what a fucking letdown. I, we, we can still do something with it. I, I, I didn't think this far through yet. I, I, okay, I think I, I found this episode more fun than Army of Darkness. Mm-hmm. Um, I think because it, it was just kind of fun and playful. But I also found it very frivolous. Part of the reason is they never even bother trying to explain how this machine is supposed to work to try and save Elva's son, right? So he's still trapped in stone. And it's something about how he has the same energy inside of him as all bang babies do. And so they're going to extract the energy from other bang babies and like irradiate Alva jr. Until he's normal again. And it's no, like no, no, yeah, the, it sounds like you fully understand it. That's, that's exactly what happens. <laughs> it is the, like, I don't the know where most, your question is. <laughs> it is the most tenuous logic, even by kids cartoon standards. Um, and I, it just made me not super, invested in the objective like i i have sympathy for alva trying to save his son but because the machine is so vague and the effects on the heroes are so vague you never really feel like a sacrifice is being made on anyone's part to make this happen like yeah they've all been kidnapped and like held there against their will but you never really feel like anyone's in real danger any sort of sense you know, I mean, they say multiple times, if we do it too much, they're going to die. And, him and saying, then no one dies. I don't care about killing teenagers. He does literally say that at one point. You know, but even when, you know, uh, they're able to break out all the Bang Babies and the, the Metabreed and Static and Gear, like, all team up together to help take down Alva and the, you know, the, the bad guys, even at the very end... Static feels bad, and so he wants to help save Alva Jr., so he volunteers to go into the machine to power it himself. And Gear makes a comment, it's like, oh, if you do this, there's always a po- like possibility you lose your powers for good. And you're like, that's not even going to happen, so I'm not too worried about this. I think, because that's a good point, I think that could have been an interesting twist on it, is it's not going to kill them. They think it's going to kill them, but then when they wake up, the three of them 
kind of like for a short period don't have their power or their power is significantly weakened. Yeah. Like rubber band man tries to stretch and grab someone and his arm just like just kind of like flops to the ground. Or Talon like sees her wings kind of shrivel up back into her arm. Yeah. Or something where they're like, oh shit, he accidentally found a cure. Oh. Yeah. Then that would have made it a little more interesting. It just it has no stakes at any point to the episode. Yeah, and especially like once he's healed, Alva's just like cool hey thanks guys uh here's yeah. a plane just get out of here like no you fucking kidnapped us <laughs> and like tortured us and we're not gonna let you just get away with that which they do yeah they just let him go and i i even wrote i'm like and there's not gonna be like a reward and then hot streak's like oh he gave me this plane <laughs> he gave me this fucking hover jet which is the worst idea possible i i loved that that last beat where he crashes it into a wall <laughs> no idea what he's doing I, I also feel like, was this the, the first episode so far in Static Shock or possibly all the DCAU where we have um, computer-generated animation thrown in there, too? I think so, and it's very apparent. It is very apparent, yeah. So there's a, there's a couple points, like the, the uh, sports card, the hot streak steals at the very beginning, um, some of the droids that are flying around, even some shots of the hovercraft are all cgi oh my my favorite is the tiny is the tiny cgi which i think is probably what started it is uh-huh. on the screen when they're looking at like um alva jr's vitals mm-hmm. there's a tiny spinning uh 3d model of alva uh but he's in this like weird hunched over position and it's it's super like you wouldn't notice it i i think if it was like hand drawn you wouldn't notice the obvious hunch but since it's a 3d model rotating it it looks so unnatural it's the pose you see like when uh when people are like mid transformation of werewolf and they like have that huge hunch and their arms kind of widen yeah it was that pose <laughs> yeah it's it's not the most seamless integration um and i i don't know enough about animation w- was this was this still done on cell or is this all digital at this point? Uh, this is, I think all digital. Okay. Cause I feel like by the time you get to like justice league and justice league unlimited, the, the, the digital quote unquote hand drawn stuff blends a lot better with the CGI stuff. Like sometimes it's a little bit patchy and obvious, but for the most part, like those two things blend together a little bit better than they do here. And I don't know enough about animation to know why that's the case. I don't know if you know. Uh, I mean, it, it it's just very, uh, yeah. It, it I think it's all animated. There's one cell, but this looks like a like a thing they sold on the side. Okay. <clears throat> it's him fist bumping Steve Nash. Nice. <laughs> Which we'll see next week. Um, yeah. So so this is still like there were obviously we had 3D animation existing at this time because while this is going on, we have the beautiful ugly characters that are jimmy neutron oh yeah um but yeah it wasn't smooth yet no because it's because it was expensive like jimmy neutron was an expensive show to make i bet yeah um and and equally it was kind of just a movie thing like integrating 3d into tv animation was was just not a thing you did back then yeah and so I think this is just kind of like very, very early attempts, which I mean, I, I think for for 2003 cheap 3D, I think it looks fine. Like the Lambo, I think looked fine. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it's noticeable, but it it actually works pretty well for the most part. Um, and, it, and it makes sense they would start to go down this path. You can absolutely see why they would do it. Oh, here, here's continuing my, my two-part pitch. So part two, I just want to get like a little more backstory into Hot Streak. I, I hate the one line they threw out. Like, you don't need it. Either give me more or don't add the one line yeah. of, I was in the hospital when I was a kid, so I don't like doctors. I'm like, okay, and, and and now I'm free and I'm gonna run away and I'm gonna kidnap Alva Senior. Yeah, and now I'm Mark McGrath. I think I think maybe that's why this episode I, I found it fun, but it's it's pretty hollow because it feels like it was a number of different things shoehorned together. Like mm-hmm. you feel like they wanted to do an episode that gave more context and depth to Hot Streak. But maybe they didn't have a fully baked idea, so they just shoehorned it in with, um, you know, another idea of like trapping people on an island, and they shoehorned that with the idea of trying to bring Alva Junior back. Like, there's actually a lot happening in this episode if you really think about it. And I agree with you. I, I would have much preferred this be a, a more of a one-off episode of Static and Hot Streak having to survive together. You look back at Btos and that did a really good job about, you know, by the time you got to like the, the latter part of the first season into season two, they would have episodes that gave more background on the villains and made them a little more sympathetic. And, mm-hmm. um, I, so I was actually, uh, rereading through the, um, BTOS series Bible this week. And one of the things that jumped out at me is that, you know, even in the Bible, there was a strong emphasis on making the, motivation of the villains relatable they, they really want to steer away from it being just you know a series of we need to capture slash kill batman and here's a bunch of death traps that we saw in the 1960s tv show they want to move away from that and towards something more grounded and relatable and they wanted the motivation to be more than just you know greed or if it was coming from a place of greed it, it maybe answer the question of why mm-hmm. and i think what we're seeing happen here towards the tail end of static is the realization that this show suffers from the same problem as basically every other show in the DCAU to date, other than BTOS, which is not knowing what to do with your villains. Cause you don't have a lot of good ones to work with. Yeah. Like I think there are good villains in this. I think Ebon is an interesting villain. I think rubber band man's arc is really interesting, but I think also when you are limited in terms of how many great villains you have, you have to keep reusing them. And every time you reuse them, you have to come up with a more ridiculous reason to have them be involved again. We saw this with Superman. We saw it to some degree with Batman Beyond. Um, we absolutely saw it with Zeta. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, how many I times think, we got IU7? I, I think like an interesting avenue that just didn't really go down is all of these people are gang members. Yeah. Like we know that from the pilot and that's never really brought up again. Mm-hmm. If like, there was a reason you joined, there's a reason everyone joins a gang and you know, like flesh out that reason. Is it problems at home? You needed money. Um, you have kind of your own mental thing going on. Like obviously those are kind of heavy topics for a kid show, but this show yeah. is pretty prominent and pretty well known for going into those pretty difficult topics. Like yeah, give me an episode of Talon where we learned she had a pretty hard family life and maybe like her mom and dad didn't get along. Um, and her coming back home, she now has a new problem because 
while they don't like each other, now they're terrified of her. Yeah. And so like she want like she tried to be normal. She 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 saw what happened to her. She had this kind of uh near death experience and now she's like, "You know what? I'm going to go home. I'm going to talk to my parents. I'm going to try and patch things up for them." But now they won't let her. So now she has this new fuel uh, this new fuel mm-hmm. for villainy. Yeah, I I think I think honing in and giving more time to the villains the way you just described would have made a lot of this stuff feel a little bit stronger. Cause I, I think this, sh- this show hinges a lot on static and especially his relationship with gear, but there are, there's a good, and the, the Frida Daisy combo. Yes, exactly. And Frida slash Daisy, there is some good stuff here. And, you know, I think what also sets static apart is that he really, really actually wants to help people and is not as jaded as Batman. You know, we we even saw Bruce make efforts to try and, you know, help his villains. And when they, you know, sometimes when they attempted to reform, he would be suspicious, but he would also genuinely try and, and make their lives better. I mean, we, he made it with one. You recall, the ventriloquist yeah, eventually did, did a, escape and become normal. And I think Static has an even greater inclination to want to do that because he's younger and more optimistic. And They're his also, peers. Yeah, there there's people that went to school with him. And they all were in the same thing he was like, you know, at no point does I don't feel like at any point does he ever go like this could have been me. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like not only having gone through the Big Bang, but having you know, tragedy in their their histories as well. Like this easily could have been him under very you know slightly different circumstances. And you kind of want to see him make an effort to, um, you know, like help the bang babies go through the community center. Like you almost feel like there could have been a running subplot to the whole show of static trying to bring bang babies, to the community center and make that a place where they have a place to go. Yeah. That would have been awesome. And prove and, you know, having his dad be a part of that and even having, um, you know, pops not knowing who Virgil is in terms of him being static, but exploiting that relationship to try and, you know, like pops is part of the reason why static is as good of a person as he is. How can he use that to try and help these kids get better too? Um, and it, it's, it's now as we're approaching the end here and we haven't seen a lot of that stuff. It makes me wish we had. Yeah. I, I love that idea. Cause I was thinking the flip side of that is you meet a villain <clears throat> whose mom or dad died from a gunshot. And they're mm, yeah. they're vengeful and they're spiteful and like the world took them from me because the the policing wasn't good enough. So now I'm gonna take that into my own hands. Yeah. Uh and like have that great bonding moment between like, hey, like you're not like it's it's not you. It's all of us. Yeah. Yeah. Make it more about like a we thing. We're in this together and we're mm-hmm. trying to make it you know, make a difference. But it's it's look it's still fun it just you know you you keep getting these like these hints of something deeper and i think we're just kind of hoping to find it and haven't really yeah and and it, i think that also comes from cartoons being so much more mature now and like you would see these topics be played on young justice i think pretty often yeah that's a good point actually and, and this show for its time like it went through big hitters like yeah. a racism episode and in, in what episode three yeah. Was was a racism dealing episode dealing with yeah. guns, homelessness, mental and, disorder. And you you raise a good point that without this show and its willingness to do one off episodes that are, are are tackling kind of headier, you know, really substantial subjects, having that 
those same concepts be laid out over long plot threads like we see in Young Justice being a really great example wouldn't have happened. Like you don't get the sort of like deeper emotional storytelling in Young Justice without having a show like this that was willing to do it, even if it's only intermittently. Now I'm thinking about like what would have been the funniest and worst PSA episode for Batman. And I would have loved <laughs> an anti-marijuana episode of Batman. Oh yeah, we never did get one, did we? That would that would be so funny. And you know how it ends? With Alfred smoking. Because he totally would. Oh, he de- he has to. What do you think he does all day? Yeah. <laughs> you can only clean so much. Yes. He just gets high and, you know, cleans up the Batcave. Power to him. That sounds yeah. lovely. He practices his sock foo. Yeah. Because you know for sure, after Chris O'Donnell did it, uh, Alfred constantly tries when no one's looking. Yeah. Oh, that I would pay to see. That yes. Pay to see. All right. Any other thoughts on this? Um, no. Th- this is the last time we see Alva and Alva Junior. Oh, really? Now he has no qualms. Yeah. Now he has no qualms with with Static anymore. His son's fine. Oh, they're best friends now. It's all good. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and that that's like such a disappointing part of this thing is like Alva. It's the same thing we had with Blight. Blight should have been a series long villain. Yeah. Who disappeared in season one, and the show suffered for it. Yeah, they just didn't really capitalize on it. Agreed. Yeah, and Alva literally made the Bang Baby gas. Uh, and I, I, I'm almost certain we don't see him again. I could be wrong on that. Uh, but he um, has he has no problems with Static anymore. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I don't, I don't think so. Unless he pops up in the finale, I don't see a place where he would fit in. So, uh, unless he, he shows joins up. the NBA. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> he becomes part of the Hoop Squad. Yeah uh would watch all right well then shall we uh do a cameron's question corner let's do, i got a question for you chris all right what do you got for me um i want to ask you there in in the history of film there's a lot of films that get made but mm-hmm. more importantly there's yes. a lot of films that don't get made <laughs> or lots of films that get made and then uh just dwell and release hell <laughs> yes and so my question for you is in especially recently uh, what is a movie that you were super excited for? What, what, what film were you most anticipating that never got made? Okay. So when I was like prepping for this question, so peek behind the curtain, you don't just ask me these spontaneously. We do a little bit of work ahead of time. Uh, when I was prepping for well, it, I, was, I do. <laughs> yes. I was trying to think through like what movies I was super excited for that ultimately didn't get made or, um, you know, like rumors of movies that I've heard about that I would have loved to see. And I, I have a, a, a long, long list. Uh, almost makes you think this might be a good episode, like a bonus episode. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely come back to this because I have a lot it, to say. To do at some point. But I mean, they're, just in the, the superhero space alone, there's so many what-if versions we almost got. You know, you could do Edgar Wright's Ant-Man. There have been numerous unproduced Batman, Superman movies, um, Justice League movies. Uh, the I went through this long list and it was kind of, Kind of a toss-up. There's a, a couple from Bond that didn't happen. One would have been Quentin Tarantino's version of Casino Royale, which sounded interesting. Um, and then part of me all, always wishes I could have seen what On Her Majesty's Secret Service would have looked like with Sean Connery instead of uh, George Lazenby. But I still love that movie anyways. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think the the one pitch that I heard that I think would have been an amazing film that we never got, and this might surprise you actually, is uh, Green Arrow Escape from Supermax. 
Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So for those I don't know anything about this one. Yeah. So what it was is, uh, you know, David Goyer, who's worked on numerous comic book properties. At one point, he wrote a script called Supermax. And I don't know at what point Green Arrow became attached. But when he did, the idea was basically that, um, you know, that would have been the first ever Green Arrow live action movie that he his identity is outed. He's captured and put into a supermax prison, kind of like the Bell Reeve that we saw in Suicide Squad. And he has to escape. And the only way to do that is to team up with a bunch of DC villains who are stashed in there. So the idea was that it would have a bunch of, you know, maybe some green arrow villains, like a, like a, a Count Vertigo or some of those others. But it also would have had just like any DC villains to get your hands on. So you could have like Cheetah, you could have Icicle in there. Uh, there is a Young Justice episode that's kind of similar to this, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Imagine you know this movie where you know it's, it's Green Arrow. It's not like anything we've ever seen before. You know, it, it's got like elements of like the the raid or dread or something like that. And this script was written, I think, before either of those movies came out. But it's him trying to escape, and you could just pack that movie with uh, just cameo, like blinking you miss a cameos or references or full on like supporting roles from this huge array of DC villains. And DC has some of the best villains and they still haven't figured out how to exploit that properly. But I think that would have been an awesome, awesome movie. Um, and one that I, I really, really wish to this day that we had gotten to see at some point. Yeah. That sounds awesome. Yeah. And I, I think at one point, I think, I think that could be an awesome animated film. Yeah. I think, and I think there's still talk about trying to do it in some capacity. Like it, it's gone through numerous iterations. I think it was maybe an original script and then it became a DC property and then I think it may have gone back at one point again to being just like its own original thing with just like generic people in it. And I think there've been some rumblings about it maybe being adapted for, for animation. Um, and we, we see bits of it in like um, Assault on Arkham kind of plays into was kind of a similar space a little bit. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it's an excellent idea. And I, and I guess it was kind of loosely adapted in season seven of Arrow, although I'd stopped watching it at that point. Same. Um, but yeah. Because I was thinking super- if, if they do that live action... I, I don't know why this is the first name that popped up, but I think give it to uh, Bong Joon-ho. Ooh, that could be Cause, really cause interesting. Because yeah. when you talk about it, I'm imagining Snowpiercer. Yeah. It's kind of like going through the the cabins to get to mm-hmm. the front of the train. And I think like that would be like such a cool way for him to enter the superhero world. Mm-hmm. No, that's a great, a great shout. Yeah. So, you know, if someone from DC is listening, can you just make that movie for us, please? Yes, please. Uh, but what was yours? What's the, the movie that you've most wanted to see and that uh, you never got a chance to? So I, I had I had two. One, one I'll talk about very briefly because there's nothing behind it, really. Mm-hmm. Um, at the Jeff Johns panel that I went to in 2010, mm-hmm. nine, 10? When did Green, Green Lantern came out in 2011? So 2010, 2010 Comic-Con. Yeah. We had just gotten the Green Lantern trailer mm-hmm. and there was a lot of hype. God, <laughs> what, a, what a failed life that was. Um, but they, because he's such a big Green Lantern and, and Flash nerd, um, they had shot like a minute long test footage for a Flash movie. Oh, that's right. And it looked great. And I'm sure we were never going to see anything from that again because nope. of how bad gl did um but the movie that i this one's kind of a left field one not for me but for normal people um 
uh, Gendry Tarnikovsky's Popeye. Oh, yeah. So in 2014, Sony put out a two-minute Popeye test animation of him trying to save olive oil being kidnapped from pirates. Um, and it is so... It, it exudes this charm that you don't see a lot in cards, especially in, in 3D animation. Mm-hmm. Uh, like this, it, it's so action-packed and charming and funny. And it's like, I think of the animator, like the animators and directors right now, that he's kind of the only one that fully understands modern slapstick. Okay. Uh, All right. Like, you know, because I mean, he's he's kind of evolved it through his work on Powerpuff Girls, Dexter's Lab, uh, Samurai Jack for being as dark as it is, has like equally funny moments because he just understands how comedy beats work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so him having a Popeye film would have been such a cool, different take on the character, especially seeing him in 3D. It, it's yeah. very different. Um, it was gonna, It was going to be done through Sony because he had just, this is off the back of the first hotel Transylvania. Mm -hmm. Um, and then no one knows what happened. The movie just vanished and you're giving me a look like, you know what happened. Do you want to break your heart a little bit? Sure. I was talking to a friend recently and I mentioned that exact thing the the, the Gendy Tarkovsky Popeye and, uh, he has friends who were at Sony at the time and apparently it was awful. Oh man. Because I agree with you, that sizzle reel, like that proof of concept, is brilliant. Um, but apparently just the actual movie itself was really, really bad, and that's why they ultimately ended up scrapping it. Um, Damn. It's just like, which I, I guess, if you think about it, it kind of makes sense, because Hotel Transylvania, I think, was pretty successful for them. Yeah, and, and so I, I looked at his filmography from that point on, and you have Hotel Transylvania. It was basically replaced with Hotel 2, which came out in 2015. Yeah. Uh, and then he kind of left Sony for a minute and went back to Samurai Jack and finished the final season of that and then did Hotel 3. Okay. So he's been, you know, pretty consistently busy since this movie was supposed to start coming right. out. Well, and on top of that, with Hotel being successful, you can't imagine that it was a, a lack of faith in him because, right. you know, it, they probably assumed it would make money. I think they just realized, like, it was so bad that they they couldn't put it out there like it would have just been a complete bomb so i know because i'm I'm with you if they had if they had found a way to capture that spirit of that short and make it a full-length thing i would be 100 with you but apparently they they weren't actually able to successfully do that sadly okay well then here's my pitch for the studios right now um because i think he's so good at slapstick and vaudevillian comedy Mm -hmm. give him space jam 2 too late Shh. they can reshoot <laughs> look wait who's supposed to be doing space jam 2 uh malcolm lee who's the either cousin or nephew i think he's the nephew of um spike lee but also the reason i have faith in that movie is that he made undercover brother that's right we did talk about that yes okay then what, what i what, what, what i wrote in my notes was give him looney tunes and i okay. just kind of evolved that to give him uh space jam I, no, I, I think agree. I think he would be a very good Looney Tunes like 
showrunner right now. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. I I, I, I say let's uh, let's keep Space Jam with uh, with Malcolm Lee, which mm-hmm. his involvement makes me even more excited for that movie. But yeah, I agree with you. I think uh, Gendy would be would great for Looney Tunes, which I think yeah. needs a little bit of help right now. Yeah, and also to to even further cement that his protege Paul Rudish, who I love very much, mm-hmm. he's the guy behind the new Mickey shorts, which also are very good at kind of bringing back that oh, that kind yeah. of classic comedy. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, the two of them are amazing together. You know, let's see them. Let's see them in rival properties. Let's, do let's see Gendry try and beat out Mickey with a good Bugs Bunny sketch. I would honestly love to see that. Yeah. All right. Well, should we do some uh, do some plugs here? Let's do it. All right. Uh, so you and I watched a movie together. So that was be my plug. The, the old guard. Do you have anything else you want to plug first before we talk about that? Uh, I, I have a weirder plug for you. Okay. Uh, I don't know how interested you would be into this, but I've been finding it fascinating, mm-hmm. mainly just because like I just miss Disney content so much. <laughs> uh, but the NBA players are have officially started training. Okay. For their for the playoffs that will be happening at Disney World. So for those who've been kind of out of the loop, basically what, what Disney has proposed is they have a full. Um, sports facility and arena set up and they have the facilities to keep their players in kind of this bubble known as the Disney bubble. And so what's happening is a kind of bubble known as the bubble. Yes. Known as the Disney bubble. Uh, So for the next three months, all the players are being kept in Disney world to play the NBA playoffs. Well, let's really hope they don't go into actual Disney world. They're, They're not, they're not allowed it's they are they are in a a like they're they they have no way of getting out basically okay is they're staying at the grand floridian grand floridian mm-hmm. nice uh and then they're basically being shuttled to the espn sports zone and back okay and so no one else is allowed in the hotel and no one else is allowed in the facility and they're not allowed off property okay and so there's there's a couple of people doing it but there's one guy that i found really charming named Matisse Thibel, mm-hmm. who's doing a YouTube series where he's vlogging his daily life in the Disney bubble. Okay. Uh, and it, it's just really fascinating to see people who like don't really care about Disney being in this situation where like everyone is super, because you know, it's the cast, you know, that the people working the hotel are still equally excited about Disney stuff. And they, like have to wear their magic band to get in and out of the rooms. Yeah. And it's, it, there's some like comedy that I find seeing people who just don't care at all being forced into this like Disney mentality. <laughs> being told to enjoy Disney at gunpoint, basically. Yeah. <laughs> My God. But no, it, it's interesting to see just kind of like that lifestyle. It's like, so it is, is it a YouTube series catered more towards NBA fans? I would guess. Like I imagine it's more like the ins and outs of the NBA side of it more than it is like the Disney I mean, aspect not, seems like coincidental. Not because they're not allowed to like film practice. So it's basically him like going through his, his, his morning routine of like doing a stretching, going to his, his trainers to get kind of taped up. And then it's him just hanging out with the, the other the other players it's it's just like a, a day in the life vlog okay of someone who happens to be a multi-million dollar nba player what's his name again uh matisse thibel 
T-H-Y-B-U-L-L-E. He plays for the Sixers. Okay, interesting. Huh. Uh, yeah, and it, it's just been like, I don't know, it, it's kind of lighthearted and it's nice and it kind of takes your mind off of everything else. <laughs> everything else. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, how about how would you talk about the old guard? Yeah, so uh, yeah, we watched the old guard last night uh, with the uh, as, as often mentioned the third part of the Burger Fan Club, Shane Tully, occasional yes. guest on this podcast. Hi, Shane. Uh, yeah, it was pretty good. I really liked it. Okay, it gave I, me anxiety afterwards. Okay, so what? I, I'm curious, what about it you really liked? Uh, easy. Charlize Theron. Okay, well, yes. Obviously, Charlize Theron can do no wrong. She is a goddess. And I, this movie further proves that you could build an entire streaming platform around her filmography. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you can build any movie around her. Yeah. No, I mean, really, she, she's one of the few actresses, or just in general, just like performers out there who could fit into any genre perfectly. Mm-hmm. She's done it all. Except you know for I want a superhero to see... movie. A what? Oh, no, that's not true. Hancock. That's right. Yeah, she had a superhero movie. This is an actress. I'm going to put her name out there just because I, I feel like she has the chops for it. And I would just love to see her in an action moment. Okay. But let's put Emma Thompson through some training. <gasps> oh, like if they made a red three, throw Emma Thompson in there. Yes. I would love to see Emma Thompson be an action hero for just a movie because i think she could she has the charm for it yeah i'm right there with you on that like i yeah i would love to see a um how old i think she's she's kind of old isn't she like 50s 60 something maybe i'm not sure but yeah i would love to see her in a um like a like a, a spy caper yeah sort of thing like one that's a little more like lighthearted and 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 frothy sort of like um like a like a to catch a thief sort of thing yeah something kind of like fun and entertaining where like she is just like a total badass like hitman or assassin or something like that and you totally Mm -hmm. wouldn't suspect it and she gets moments of extreme action but she just spends most of the rest of the movie just being her undeniably charming self exactly (sighs) okay yeah i'm on board okay but, but back to the old guard yeah, uh, I don't know. I, I liked the idea of it, and I think we we were both. I don't want to say disappointed by the ending, but there there's a a storyline that we were both very excited for that never really bloomed into anything. Yeah, I I think it it's look it's it's fun. It's for it's, a Netflix movie. It's it's up up in kind of the better ones. I I think that's it. I think it's. It's a little bit better than most of the Netflix film fare. That being said, it did still feel a little underbaked. Like, I know I've said this before, that a lot of Netflix movies feel like 80% of a good movie. Mm-hmm. Maybe for me, this one's like 90% of a good movie. Like, you, they clearly had the budget. You know, they've got Charlie Theron. you got a pretty damn good supporting cast. You know, uh, there's lots of helicopter shots um you know but like even enough just to make tom cruise just a little excited just, yeah just a little just to pique his interest um it the action sequences were occasionally good but i was expecting 
something more from the action sequences, to be honest. Like, it needed to have more, like, really cool... I can think of twice in... in or all the action sequences so I was like oh cool I've never seen that before like, or like that was like a really cool moment it needed the, a little the bit the fucking more suplex oh yes. man that yes. haunted me oh yes. that was gorgeous <laughs> yeah there's like two moments that really stood out as like really cool like action beats um, but the action sequences themselves were like we're fine but a little bit generic just kind of same with the plot like okay like there's an interesting idea here um, and the specific story you're telling is fine but it, it could maybe have just a little bit more to it mm-hmm. um and i i guess i'm, I'm describing it like i didn't enjoy it i liked it i you know i consider it like a very solid three-star film um you know like i'm i think it's good that it was on netflix you just like sit down and watch it at home and then i have to like pay to go see it um but i wanted just a little more zhuzh out of it that's fair yeah I, th- I think i i enjoyed it so much just because like i did get to watch it with you too yeah and it was my first time socializing <laughs> <laughs> that helps since our last recording that absolutely helps yeah I, it, it just needed um it needed a little bit more flair a little bit more personality um it needed just a little bit more to feel distinct and you know it, it's not a spoiler to say that there's some really obvious sequel baiting happening yeah. too uh, which at, at this point i just find just such an annoying act of hubris it's like come on maybe just resolve all your plot threads in the first movie and not just like deliberately leave things dangling for a second one. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm sorry, but I feel like no one other than the Marvel films should really have a post credit sting at this point. Yeah. And, and even like early Marvel films, like they, they kind of knew what they were doing, but even then like the movie could have just ended and we never see these characters again. Yeah. A la Ed Norton and the Hulk. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like the early Marvel stuff was, they were, fun teases for things to come and there was always the possibility that they didn't happen you know it's like iron man sets up the avengers it's always a possibility the avengers never happened if those movies weren't successful but it felt bold and daring because no one else was really doing it at the time Mm -hmm. and even if at the end it just became like this fun little like fan moment and a tease of something to come it would have been okay but now it's such an obvious tool used by everyone that when it happens you're just like to stop i was <laughs> i i forgot to bring this up earlier when i was i'm not sure if you saw the same article but you might have when i was scrolling through movies that didn't get made that people wanted to get made mm-hmm. there was an article from like 2011 that's like movies we're never gonna see ever because studios don't have a backbone anymore it's like deadpool wonder woman <laughs> justice league <laughs> and i'm like wow this is very well timed fucking brilliant there it, it is an interesting dive going through looking at stuff that was never made. Uh, like I said, I think there's a full episode out of that potentially. Um, but no, I mean, like I would say that the old guard, it's a plug. It's an absolute plug. I think it's worth a watch. It's, you know, it's a fun action movie. Um, yeah, great one to watch like with a group. Yeah, exactly. And you know, Charlie's is great. And the nice thing is, is the Netflix has Netflix party. So that's what we did. We all got on, you know, zoom slash Netflix party and watched it together. And, it's you know not so demanding that you have to pay perfect attention all the way through. You'll still get the the major beats mm-hmm. of it. But no, it's it's fun. It just felt like I said a little underbaked. Yeah, that that's fair. Yeah. Okay. Well, shall we land this bird? Let's do it. 
All right. Uh, if you want to reach out to us, uh, we, you can find us at Tim Talk Pod on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail. In particular, I would love to hear uh, what people, what movies people would want to see that they never got a chance to. Like, what is the, you know, the the movie lost in development hell that you wanted to see, or you know, the alternative version of something um, we never got a chance. Uh, would love to hear your thoughts on that. And then you can find me at Lordifer on Twitter and Instagram. Yes. Uh, if you want to see my art, you can find that at Cameron.exter. And if you want to see my face, you can find that at CamDexter underscore adventures. Uh, you have a new animation out. I do. I did. I did a little, I did a little thing for, uh, for, for Disney bounding. I miss dressing up as my characters. So I made a little animation for it. Uh, and maybe when this episode comes out, uh, I've been learning how to make Instagram filters and they're depending on how long Instagram's going to take to approve it might be a filter up that I just finished making. That's awesome. Yeah. No, I I absolutely loved your your Disney banding little animation. It's it's oh, thank you. very sweet and adorable. And also just want to, you know, give you a shout out for how good your uh like artistic designs have gotten. Thank you. Like they they've always been good, but I can see you like feeling more confident in being um like expressive, like expressive and having more animation to the characters. Like, you know, I've been able to see it over the course of the the episode art you do for the show even you know like your your stuff now is so so good and you can absolutely see in the animations they're they're getting like really really uh detailed and beautiful so well done i really appreciate that thank you yeah no they're fantastic so yeah everyone go check that out but we will be back next week with more static shock of course uh we are getting to cameron's now most anticipated episode <laughs> the second Shaq squad episode. <laughs> The return of Shaq, aka not the actual return of Shaq, <laughs> with a uh, hoop squad, and then uh, now you see him will be our other episode next week. Uh, but thank you as listening for always, and uh, we'll see you then. Yeah, see you then. Bye. Bye. A superhero static shock. Wee wee. A superhero static shock. Wee wee. <laughs>